This is AA Beyond Belief, episode 133. I recorded this conversation with Barbara G a couple of weeks ago, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Barbara is from Maryland and has been sober since 1983. She says the God bit gave her trouble early on, but she learned how to interpret the steps in her own language in a way that made sense to her. There's a lot that we're talking about here. She talks about Jim Burwell. She talks about the Lord's Prayer. We talk about the future of secular AA, unity within AA, and more. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. It's nice to have you here. You know, I forgot where you're from. I'm from Maryland. Oh, how nice. So you're you're real close to where the convention's going to be, the International Conference of Secular AA, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is not far. So we'll see. I have not been able to attend any of those others because of scheduling conflicts. I yeah. just haven't. Yeah. So we'll see what works out. There's... Life happens. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, this year they're having the um, International Conference of Secular AA and also the, the AA International Conference. And people are wanting me to go to both of them, but I don't know if I can. Um, oh, you have a cat. This is Simone, and she wants to participate. <laughs> she can. I have a cat, too. Now, I have I have two cats, um, and one of them is really mean, and she'll jump oh. up on my desk sometimes, and she won't let me um, use my keyboard or mouse. She'll start. <laughs> well, she's jealous. I know. She wants my, yeah, this, when people call me, I she talks on the phone. So that's just the way it is. And, um, but anyway, yeah, so we'll see how that, I don't know. It's way down the road. I'm really big on one day at a time. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> really too. big on Who that. knows that what's going to happen that, that, that you're right. Yeah. Okay. So we're here to talk about you. We're here to talk, we're here to yes. do a podcast about you. And, uh, why don't we start with you? If you can just go into your story and we'll take it from there. Yeah. I've been sober for 36 years. Uh, I came from an alcoholic family. There were two alcoholics in um, in my family, one of whom was on Skid Row in New York. So we're talking uh, low bottom there. He survived because my mother stopped him from drinking. So she was an unrecovered Al-Anon. She, um, she had control of his money, so he couldn't drink. So that was um, that was the family history. And uh, my mother was very angry because she couldn't control the alcoholics in her life. So I didn't dare drink at home. I did not start drinking until college. And it was really, I was a socially awkward introvert away from home for the first time. And the way to fit in was to drink beer. I don't like beer. And, um, but I figured out really on that once I got through the first beer, it didn't matter <laughs> after that. Um, I would just continue drinking. So I learned to chug the first beer so I could get to the, the drunk part faster. And what's amazing to me that first year of my drinking career, I don't have a really long one, but um, is that I could drink so much and mix any drinks and never get sick and never have a hangover. That just totally blew my mind that first year. That changed. <laughs> and I also noticed uh, a definite increase in tolerance um, with only a few months' time. I mean, it was amazing to me. I didn't know any of this stuff until I came into the rooms. 
my sophomore year of college, my drinking got modified, mo- uh, moderated because I met my husband and I fell in love, oh. just like what the big book said. How about that? <laughs> and yeah, what a concept. <laughs> and uh, we've been married almost 47 years. And um, thanks to recovery, we are still married. I don't know if my marriage would have survived um, had it not been for a long-term recovery. Uh, we got married my senior year. And he had to go to another location to graduate school. And I, uh, so I was left by myself and I got depressed. And so I started binging and um, particularly on weekends, that was always a big problem. And I almost failed my final semester of college because of my drinking. One day the professor called me in he says, you're going to fail this class. And it's amazing to me about how powerful denial is. I was a scholarship student. If you don't do the work, you're not going to pass the class. I was totally oblivious to that because of the drinking. So I did make it through, um, but it was by the skin of my teeth. Um, I have had a family, uh, I have family history. There's mental illness along with that. And my mental illness is depression. My first depression was when I was eight years old. And that's a major trigger for me for drinking. You know, here is my antidepressant is alcohol that doesn't work very well because it makes you more depressed but I didn't know that either so I um, started my marriage and uh, and I um, at a certain point there was uh, I became seriously suicidal Um, uh, I was uh, drinking and um, all of my my addiction started out with an eating disorder in childhood And so I was doing both. And for me, alcohol and the eating disorder are linked. I can't do one without the other being a problem. I mean, I have to be in recovery in both. And um, my sponsor at the time was very, very insightful. And she knew that I was suicidal. And she knew probably intuitively that I had the means to kill myself. And she asked me to call her in 15 minutes. And uh, what happened was she I didn't, I threw away the pills. So I I knew that they would kill me. I mean, um, there was a a severe health crisis in my my family during this period of time. So that just made everything worse. At some point, I decided I could drink at work as long as it was after three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) And uh, so I was doing controlled drinking on the weekend and uh, that was a disaster because what ended up happening is I ended up in a blackout. I almost, I could have easily died by choking to death on my own vomit. I did not. But that was uh, when at that point I committed to, uh, I need to stop drinking. I need to go to AA. I need to say, I'm Barbara. I'm an alcoholic. I must stop drinking. And uh, at this point, I had already met my current sponsor. Um, I've known her for 40 years. She's uh, celebrating 40 years of sobriety next month. Wow. And uh, which is really, really cool. So anyway, um, so I committed to sobriety, started going to meetings. And uh, shortly after that, my husband uh, was in the military. He got transferred, uh, excuse me, transferred to Germany. So here we have this big adjustment again. <laughs> I had a big depression. Um, I was sick 
off and on for the first several months that I lived there, uh, just adjusting to all the germs that they have there. And um, I had several slips in Germany just because we had uh, a, uh, is a cultural difference. Um, like one time I went into a restaurant and I ordered tomato soup and it was laced with gin. Yeah. <laughs> I tell yeah. that story at AA means and people crack up. We don't expect that. Right. Just unexpected alcohol. Yeah. And uh, so that was a lot of my problems. And of course, once I get started, it was a problem. And then I have to start over again on day one. So I had a number of white chips during that period. My last drunk was in Munich. I was on a bus to Munich and uh, I got so sick that I was pacing the hotel at 3 a.m. with horrible abdominal pain. I don't know. I never had that reaction to wine or any drinking ever like that. And that, that was my last drunk. And what was interesting is that I didn't realize until like a few weeks ago that the trigger was visiting Dachau. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> that was what got, I was in total oblivious to that reality. Um, so anyway, so that was my last drunk. What was interesting to me is why I wanted to, I, I had a friend in another program who was uh, an atheist and she told me about secular AA. I had no knowledge of anything secular whatsoever because there's like all these organizations for atheists and agnostic. And I call myself an agnostic. I've been an agnostic for 40 years at least. Um, before that, I probably was. I just didn't know the term. <laughs> I didn't understand the term. And uh, and she and that's how I found you and other podcasts. And so I've been exploring this whole community. And it was fascinating to me. Um, what was interesting about my background is my father was an atheist. He was closeted. In the 1950s, you did not discuss being an atheist. Yep, Absolutely imagine. not. And, but he would make these little remarks here and there, and it's like, well, he's different. He's not religious like my mother. I don't know what that means, but it's just, it was noticeable. So I started exploring this whole thing, and I had not been going to many AA meetings because I find uh, – the AMEs closing with the Lord's Prayer, extremely annoying. I was wondering about that. So did you, you got sober with traditional AA meetings when you first started going? Yes, to I did. There was nothing in 1982, 83. There was nothing. I was in a military community. Uh, we had a women's meeting. There were like six or eight of us. I mean, like 90% of the AA members were guys, soldiers. And of course, and so I went to this women's meeting, and uh, what was interesting to me is that there was this one uh, old-timer uh, woman, and she said, well, you didn't drink enough. Oh, great. Like, well, I, <laughs> Tradition 3 coming in there, but, um, but I knew about Tradition 3, so I wasn't going to. So um, I was going to traditional AA meetings and uh, talking to my sponsor, who I've known all this time, and and. In later years, maybe after the first couple of years, I wasn't going to as many because I was just uncomfortable. So for a lot of years. And then, you know, when I visited my sponsor, we, I would go to meetings with her and I'd be just fine. My sponsor lives in the Bible Belt, you know. I mean. 
So were you able to identify that it was the God talk that was making you uncomfortable? God talk was always uncomfortable for me day first time. I mean, that's why I didn't, I didn't work the 12 steps, all of them until 1983. I mean, I was going to meetings off and on, but I didn't work the 12 steps because I, it was just a big, huge barrier. And in that period of time, there was a book Uh, Now, at that time, the alternative 12 steps had not yet been published. That was years in the future. I didn't find that book until the first edition was around. And there was a book called The 12 Steps for Everyone Who Really Wants Them. It was out of print for a while. You can get it now. You can buy vintage copies and you can get it. And the take home from that book was gender neutral steps. And that was a set that helped me to separate from the Christian language, very Christian oriented language in the big book. So I, and the big book says, don't let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms prevent you from asking what they mean to you. And I said, okay, I'm going to reword this stuff. I mean, I didn't come up with elegant language. I mean, I just didn't, but I just started reframing it. Like in one part of the big book, it says, are you willing to even willing to believe in a power greater than myself? Well, I have a lower barrier and my lower barrier was elsewhere in the big book where it says, I am, uh, I said to myself, I'm willing to grow along spiritual lines. Now I have a very broad interpretation of the word spiritual to me. Spirituality is all those areas of life that are beyond the limits of science. Um, so for example, uh, great music, is a lot more than sound frequencies. Great art is a lot more than pigments on a canvas. We can analyze these things scientifically, but there is something more, and that something more is what I call spirituality. There is no need to believe in any divinity to accept that for me. So so I've always been coming up with these little ways of dealing with it. The issue of um, the 12 steps. Um, Step three was a toughie way back when. And I got around step three uh, in the 70s. I was, uh, I called my, I was having trouble, called my sponsor. And after I got off the phone, I called these two newcomers. And uh, if you remember in the big book, it says, this works when all else fails. And just working and talking with these newcomers, I said, oh, okay. I don't know what this is, but I feel love for these people. And this, I can, I can trust that. And uh, so that's how I did step three way back when. So it's, it's always been this figuring and whatever and, and separating. The separation from Christianity took me a very long time. I had, I've been very close-mouthed about it. For me to come out on this, this is like huge. <laughs> this, is, this is just huge. I mean, I was just, I was really hesitant to email you for months. Uh, because um, of just coming out, but I believe that I it's really important to people to hear that the twelve steps work perfectly fine if you don't believe in a divinity. Yeah, uh, that's really amazing to me that back in 1983 that you found a book and that you already started looking at the at the steps in your own language and and, and reinterpreting them really, which is really pretty much what pretty much everybody has to do anyway, if they're going to work the steps. I also like that line in the big book that, you know, we should ask ourselves what spiritual terms mean to us. 
not necessarily what they mean to Bill Wilson or Dr. Bob or the guys who wrote the big book, but you know, what do they mean to us? That's pretty much how I, I kind of approached it too. I was a little bit different than you in that I think I was probably agnostic or atheist, didn't really think about it or know about it. But when I got into AA, I just kind of fell in line. So I tried to rationalize in my head what I was hearing. And then I would I would regurgitate what I was hearing. <laughs> and and so I just kind of learned the lingo and went along with it, you know. And I guess that was okay. But I, 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 it wasn't until many, many years later, and it's really even now, I'm realizing to what extent I found myself just conforming to what was being done in the meetings. And that's kind of what I did. I did in a way, but uh, what I did was I stayed silent. Now, I reread Burwell's story uh, in the big book recently. And I also read his story that was reprinted in Big Tent recently. In fact, when I was, I said, I've got to read this. And what it seemed to me what he did, he did not say, I fell out of bed and I came to believe. He didn't say that. He just stopped arguing. That's what I got from his story. And it was silence. And so if I don't agree with something or I don't believe something, I don't talk about it. I just stay quiet about it. I look for the areas where I relate rather than uh, get all hung up. And I've had my angry times. I mean, I don't think you can be <laughs> agnostic or atheist in a society and not have your anger. I mean, I have it. Especially in AA. Yeah. I yeah. mean, <laughs> but it's what's Did you notice that over time from the 1980s to now, did you notice like it was becoming maybe more rigid and more, more religious or, I, or do you think it's pretty much the same? I think, I, I think I, I heard you talk about that recently and uh, I, it's probably true. And I think it's because AA goes along with an increased rigidity in society. I think I, because AA is part of society. And so it doesn't surprise me at all. And yes, and I've been pushing back against, uh, a lot of, well, a number of people who <laughs> they want me to fit into their box and I just won't do it. And I call that the square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And I've been a square peg and I would shave off the corners a little bit. And I think that's what Burwell did. I think he shaved off the corners so he could kind of fit in, but I get nothing from what I read in those two stories. I don't know. There might be more information about him that he ever came to believe uh, that would be an interesting question i don't you know like the story um my our southern friend and he was the guy who fell out of bed who are you to believe there is no god i think that was the story and uh i recently led a meeting on that and um what was interesting, this is a big book meeting. I go to a big book meeting every week. <laughs> and I started going to this meeting. This was the first meeting in my area, the only meeting in my area that did not close with the Lord's Prayer. That's why I do that. And when I heard about Secular AA from this other member in another fellowship, I started searching. And, uh, and I said, sooner or later, there's going to be a We Agnostics meeting in my town. And that happened 18 months ago. I just sat there and waited. I couldn't start it. I didn't have the energy. I just waited until our We Agnostics meeting started. Um, and uh, I was 
I just got there as soon as I could. <laughs> I was so excited. And it's a wonderful meeting. Uh, we're not terribly big. Um, we read uh, a story from Big Tent recently, and I think it's uh, it was written by a woman, I think, and it's on it's in the towards the beginning of the book. And the sharing that everybody was doing was just magnificent. And I was just blown away. I haven't been blown away by a meeting for a long time. And, I, you know, there's good meetings and then there's blown away meetings. And this was a blown away meeting because these new people come in and they want to get sober, but the God stuff is a huge barrier for them. And to have that meeting available, I'm just, I'm just so excited that we have it now because we didn't have it for a long time. Yeah, it, it's, it truly is um, interesting for me to see those new people who are coming into these secular meetings who have not had the experience with the, with the traditional type of meeting, you know. So for them, uh, we have a lot of them in our group, they don't know an AA where you close the Lord's Prayer. They don't know an AA where people talk about higher power all the time. You know, it's so I just wonder what would it be like for these people if they went and, and, and visited with these other meetings? I think that they know. I mean, because the thing is, what uh, when people go to an AA meeting now, they have what you and I didn't have. They have access to information on the internet. So they do their research and they figure out you know, they read about AA and they say, oh, it's religious. And so they won't even, they won't even give it a chance, but then they'll find our secular meetings and go. When I was getting sober in 88 and you were getting sober in 83, we didn't have that. And I don't know if you knew, but when I went to AA for the first time, I had no idea that there was any God influence or any religious stuff involved with it. And I was kind of surprised with when I saw God written all over the steps. I kind of knew from the beginning because my first sponsor was a very religious woman. And, um, and you knew her before you went to meetings. Yeah, she, um, I met her in 1976. Um, and I wasn't, I was in my other fellowship and she was a dual member. So I was really working with her, but, but also aware she would talk about her drinking history and along with her food history. That's where it all started for me was the food and, but she was sober seven years. And her sponsor, also a dual member, had, I don't know, I think about 20 years of sobriety. And um, so I had exposure to AA, traditional AA, from the very beginning through speakers and these people that I knew very well who were also in AA. So you had an idea what, what it was about. So I, I was... I was not surprised at all when I found out about the Oxford groups and everything. It didn't surprise me at all. I, cause I was brought up a religious Catholic. I totally believed everything. So I was basically unlike my, I believe my father was a natural born atheist. I don't think he ever believed. Um, he married my mother. So he had to go to church every Sunday. I was created. Uh, I was a created atheist um, by exposure to religion uh, that was not a positive influence on my life. And that's a long story, but that that's essentially what it was. And uh, my father never talked about anything, but I knew he was different. And it was, uh, it was funny because I was, um, and we agnostics, I mean, it took me, we agnostics is a very good description <laughs> of believers stereotypes about, <laughs> about atheists and agnostics. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. And my father never claimed proof to have there is no God. 
Yeah, who does? I know. Well, they don't, but that's what believers <laughs> say. We're claiming proof there is no God. No, we're saying there the is no it proof. It says that in the twelve and twelve too. That drives me crazy. It says they they miss they miss they they, they incorrectly define an atheist. They say the atheist is one who knows there's no God. No, he doesn't say that. No. Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting you. That's hot, but that and, <laughs> and the other thing is uh, the we agnostic says uh, atheists engage in windy arguments. I don't, there's only one atheist <laughs> that I know. That maybe even came close to that. Right. I mean, we're right. talking about public people versus just ordinary people, which is what I know, my father, my grandfather, and you know, people in my personal life. I mean, it's just it's just uh but that you know, you think about nineteen thirty-nine, there wasn't much acknowledgement of anything outside of Protestant Christianity. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they knew there were Jewish people. And maybe, I mean, it was just amazing to me how uh, insular um, AA was in the beginning. They just had no, and, and Burwell comes in, he says, I can't handle this stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, he just, uh, I was amazed by that. And um, I had, um, one of the things that I was going to say, I wanted to tell the story when I worked all 12 steps for the first time, uh, I was at a, um, I was talking to somebody and this woman said, who are you to talk about the big book when you don't believe in God? Oh, this was 1983, okay? And I was stunned into silence. Uh, so once I recovered, I called another member and she said, well, big book lady, I'll call her that, I don't even remember her name. <laughs> big book lady is good friends with your sponsor. And I went, uh oh, this is not good. <laughs> so I had to part ways with my sponsor. And um, to my sponsor's credit, she called me up and to make amends. And she said she was angry when I got into recovery and I didn't come to believe. That infuriated her. Now she was pretty overt. I mean, she was having me assigning me this book, and it was a book, it was a Christian book that had the 12 steps. And Christian stuff, you know, the Bible stuff and everything. And what I was doing was reading this book and skipping over the Bible stuff. I mean, and just politely ignoring her. And she didn't say anything to me until this, this whole incident with this other person, her friend, came up. But it's interesting. This is a common belief. Most, a lot of AAs believe if you don't come to believe, you're not going to recover. I mean, and it's kind of, it can be very condescending. It's like, oh, honey, you'll get it. If you're really serious, you'll get it. And it's like, I've been on the receiving end of this stuff a lot of years, and I'm just very good at ignoring it. But I understand a newcomer might not be able to ignore it. And I understand the newcomer who has been traumatized by religion and finds the language in the big book triggering. I, I totally get it. This person who told me about, and if she listens to this, I want her to call me. <laughs> she moved out of the area and she'll know who she is. Um, but she was the one that told me about secular AA and AA Gnostica, which is what I found first. And I think you came along. I don't know what year you came along, but um, this whole idea that you've got to do it a certain way. There's one right way to recover. That's what the attitude is. 
I went to the 2010 convention in San Antonio. And I went to the We Agnostics workshop. There were like 200 people in there. So I was there and they had three panelists and uh, they all started out as atheists and came to believe. And after, after the workshop was over, I was talking to somebody in the hall and I said, that doesn't represent, <laughs> that's not, it's not a representation. And AA has been just, I think they've been dragged kicking and screaming into acknowledging that there are people who just don't come to believe and they can be sober for lots of years. I think that is just that that idea is just now becoming more accepted. You know, in my time in AA, it wasn't. In fact, I remember my, I, I've had a couple of sponsors. They would, they'd tell me that, um, the atheists were angry. They were the most angry people they ever knew. And um, one sponsor told me if I ever became an atheist, he'd have to fire me. Um, that 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 was the kind of language I was hearing, you know, about non-believers in AA. Isn't that weird? It's not um, weird. It's totally <laughs> unsurprising to me. Yeah, totally I mean, that's what the literature says, doesn't it? It says in the in the you know we're, we're savages. We 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 have windy arguments. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, look at what Dr. Bob said at the end of his story. Oh, that's right. If you're right. an atheist, I feel sorry for you. That's right. He and does. It's like, hmm. One of the things that was, well, one of the things that was fascinating, um, I think the person who was talking about the history of secular AA or secular people in AA, and uh, I uh, actually reread the um, book about the history of AA by, I can't remember, not God, that book. Oh, that one. Oh, that what a book. good book. It was published in, uh, in the late 70s. Ernest, Ernest Kurtz. Hmm? Yes, yes. Ernest Kurtz. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking, I reread the book maybe a year ago or two ago because I was, it seemed to me, and I'm not sure, and this is an interesting question to put out. It seemed to me that there was, Akron was super religious and New York less so. That's how I remember it. Yeah. There was some tension between the two. Yes. And it seemed they don't talk about that, but you just kind of have to read between the lines because um, I mean, Bill Wilson read the um, that they mentioned in the big book uh, about religious psychology. Oh, William James, James, religious experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, he read that and it was fascinating to me. It was talking about, I think tradition one comes out of that book because regardless of what religious belief you have there's there are commonalities and uh tradition one you don't have to agree you just have to look what what we have in common and like you know we're all on the same ship going down on the same lifeboat and focus on that and that's what i've had to do all these years focus on how i'm alike rather than worrying about how i'm different except for five years i have I lived in metropolitan areas for five years only in my adult life. And I've always been in small towns like I am now. Secular meetings, and I probably, I'm thinking rational recovery has been around since the 90s. I don't know. But I've never had anything like that available to me. There's, There was a meeting in locally, but I think it's gone or it's on hiatus. That last I heard, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know what the story is on that meeting secular recovery or whatever. I just don't know what it is. But for those of us who live in small towns, there's not going to be, AA is it. 
And what has happened to me is that I've always been able to find a meeting that was less dogmatic. And I've always been able to find people who were more accepting and tolerant so that I could get what I needed. AA 12-step programs in general got me out of religion. I don't, I think I would have remained a religious person uh, if it were not for that, it got me out, extricated me. Isn't that interesting? And um, and I'm not the only one who said that. I've talked to, I've heard other people say the same thing. And so there's this. Uh, why did it? I mean, <laughs> why? How, how how does AA take you out of religion? Because it gave me the support I needed to get in recovery, and it gave me the opportunity to explore what spirituality meant to me. AA never told me I had to believe. Right. That's interesting because you came from a Catholic background where it was very, very much, you know, the dogma, I guess, of the Catholic Church is what you followed and believed. Yes. And uh, nobody ever said, you got to believe this book in a certain way. Not really. My sponsor never said that. And I could read for myself. And I said, okay, I'm just got to interpret this. And in the tradition three, the long form, it says, you know, we t- AA need must not turn anyone away who wants to recover. Regardless, no exceptions, no conformity required, no money or conformity. I think that's the language that was in there. That has protected me from those who disapproved of me. And I've had them, you know, and I told you about Big Book Lady. It's like that was pretty, usually it was pretty it was dirty looks, you know, <laughs> or bad vibes. That was it. Um, and I just stay away from those people. And I look towards the people who are supportive. And um, so, um, but I, I did want to, before we got um, off this, and I don't know how long we've been talking, but I wanted to express my opinion and you can delete this if you wish oh no um (laughs) i would be extremely disappointed if secular aa left aa Mm -hmm. i think i would be too um believers there are some believers who want us out uh that's why toronto happened (laughs) that's right there's some believers that want us out there's some of us that want to get out too i'm afraid well there are i i do understand that and i understand the uh, people who have been, like I said, been traumatized. And I get that. I understand that. But I don't think that's going to benefit the common welfare. Um, I agree. For this uh, to to get us out. Because, again, you know, those of us who live in small towns, AA is it. There isn't going to be a secular meeting for us. It's just not going to be there. So we're going to, you know, if you live in New York or Los Angeles, there's lots of meetings. and it can look like, oh, well, we'll be fine. You know, it's fine here if we get out on our own. And uh, I just don't see that um, being helpful. And that's a good point there. Hmm? Do, you, do you, That's a good point about how and the larger cities that, yeah, sure, they have plenty of meetings. So for them, it's one thing, but it's different if you live in a small town in a rural area. Um, do you happen to know John H. from the D.C. group? I don't know him. I just heard him speak. So I don't okay. know him. Because I had him I had him on a podcast and he has he wants he wants this I don't it just doesn't make sense to me. But he wants secular AA to be separate from AA. And the thing about that is 
it doesn't it doesn't make sense because he's just he, he there's no way you can get all these different AA groups to decide that they want to leave AA. I mean, the only way that that a person could leave AA is just to stop going to AA meetings. So, I mean, if we have these secularly formatted AA meetings out there, they're already in AA, have been in AA for a long time, many of them. So I don't understand how they can just decide. There's no way that all these different 500 different groups are going to say, oh, we're no longer AA. I just don't understand how that can happen. Well, I mean, it can happen with resentments. Anything can happen, but... I guess. I mean, we could somehow all come together. I don't know how we could. I mean, AA World Service isn't bothering us. No, they aren't. They They actually support us. We're supported. We're supported really by the general service structure. It's only the the few rednecks that we might meet in a meeting every once in a while that don't like us. And I think it's a great, um, one of our regular attendees at my We Agnostics meeting is a Christian. He likes our meeting. I, and there was this other person I know from other meetings, and she came. And I think it's great for believers to come to a secular AA meeting and see we don't have three heads. And I find it interesting, the religious people who like who like a secularly formatted meeting, because we have some that come to our group, too. And it's that they're religious, they go to church, but they like to keep that separate from their recovery. They want to keep the religious part separate from their recovery. It's an outside issue. I think is what. Yeah, it is. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to go to a therapist or a doctor, you don't want to talk about religion, do you? You you, you might want to talk to your, your preacher about, <laughs> about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, I know. But you know, I don't think that, I think that, I think it's good for us to stay firmly within AA. In fact, I think we should be um, really actively involved with general service because um, we're making an impact on AA as a whole. The more of our groups that, that, that there are, the more accepting um, AA will be of newcomers, the more likely the rest of the AA members will understand that that the overzealousness of religion, religion and meetings keeps people away. It kept me out for years. I mean, just the Lord's Prayer turned me off. It's like, don't you guys get it? If you're Jewish, this is a Christian. It's a direct quote from one holy book. It's not It's not like the uh, 11 Steps St. Francis Prayer. I mean, that was St. Francis. I mean, he was a Christian. But that doesn't come out of the Christian Bible. The Lord's Prayer does. And that's the argument um, that, you know, they can't. And I'm still amazed that it stopped being appropriate 80 years ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, and, it's totally but weird. it's magic. Only See, one time I was in the seventies. I was at an. Um, I was at. Uh, I suggested. I had the audacity to suggest that if we're having meetings in a Jewish neighborhood, that maybe the Lord's Prayer might not be welcoming. <laughs> and boy, you would have. I mean, they wanted to run me out of town on a rail. I mean, the <laughs> anger uh, coming at me because I was. So I said, "Okay, group conscience." I not going to be able to argue. I think that it's healthy for addicts of whatever kind to learn to live with the discomfort of differences. Um, Instead of we're right and the rest of the world is wrong, this black and white thinking, got to have rigid rules, got to control, you know, all of this stuff. And it is uncomfortable. I have two sponsees that are Christians. They are evangelical Christians. And it is not comfortable. Why they want me to sponsor them, I don't know. But anyway, that's not my, <laughs> I mean, 
but I stay with them because I want to be able to interact with these people without going into uh, starting an argument or a debate. I just, I want that skill. And um, there is an outside thing called street epistemology. If you don't know about it, explore it. It's wonderful. So just look at that. It's totally outside. That's a good point. I think about that sometimes because I, I don't really interact with religious people or even uh, traditional AA people very often because we do have so many secular meetings here. But I, I think about it sometimes that, you know, it's probably not, not really that healthy um, for me as a person and for AA as a whole that we all stay in our own individual silos and it seems like now that that that's just the way our society has become now that we all we watch the we watch the news station that is that's airing the news from our point of view we join the facebook groups where everybody is in accordance to our point of view you know what i'm saying it's like we have our own little silos where where we're we're just we only know people who believe and think like we do and that probably isn't healthy for society as as a whole if we're not talking to each other, to people that think differently. So yeah. that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I I um, it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, but I do I do believe that uh, I I really actively want to work on that. And I had this one sponsor, uh, sponsee. She. Um, I was asking her all these questions. Where are you at with this? Where are you at with that? And what happened is she was like, she was saying, why are you asking me all those questions? And I said, I want to know where you're coming from. And, and I said, and she was uncomfortable because I was making her think <laughs> about why she thought the way she was. And, and I said, well, do you feel disrespected? And she said, no. So we're still talking, you know, this was months ago. I mean, there are ways I don't need to get into a debate I don't need to get into arguments. I don't want to. I can't. I don't want to. And uh, like I said, I go to a big book meeting every week. And um, it's not that maybe it's my area. I mean, we're suburban Washington, D.C. area. And um, maybe that I think it makes a big difference because if I go to a meeting in the Bible Belt. It's going to be you know, it's going to be a lot more Jesus book there. <laughs> And, but I've been to, I've been to meetings in a lot of places. I've been to meetings in Europe and and Hawaii more recently. And it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, None of the meetings I went to in Hawaii closes with the Lord's Prayer. None. (laughs) They just, but there's a lot of Buddhists in Hawaii. There's a lot of Asians. So it's just, it's a whole different thing. And uh, so I'm just, I just really hope that, uh, we do focus on the 12 traditions and um, because if secular AA separates and doesn't pay attention to the 12 traditions, they are not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And I, th- and I, I think that, I think that we're here to stay too, by the way, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to do this. It was nice to talk with you. Yeah. It's nice to see. You, and I hope I get to meet you in person in the not too distant future. Yeah. We'll uh, see. You never know. Might... <laughs> I travel, yeah. you know, and uh, mm-hmm. you just never know. Um, yeah. Maybe next year. If, you, um, if you're ever in Kansas City, absolutely. And, you know, I, have I might. Have a friend I might who lives you. there. And she's, oh, do you really? Yeah, she's in regular AA. Yes, absolutely. Oh, cool. 
So I don't know. She lives like outside. She's not right in Kansas City, but she lives like outside, but she's in that area. So just never know, you know. And I'm unless something strange happens, I will be in Washington, D.C. in, in 2020 for that convention. I'm on the board of directors, so I think I have to be there. Yeah, but I don't know. They can't really force me. <laughs> anyway. And that's in the fall of 2020, isn't it? It's like October. Right, right. I think it's like in October. It's in November, maybe. October yeah. or November. I mean, I don't know of anything right now. but Maybe it's October. I think it's October because it's going to be before the elections, oh. which will be nice. <laughs> and I do, I do have one more thing that I heard many, many years ago that reality is a power greater than ourselves. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and um, I don't care. And what um, believers, they may believe in a divinity, but they don't, I have to do the same amount of work that they do. I have to, it's not what I believe, it's what I do. It's the practice. And because I work the program, stay in recovery for all these years. And that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you'd like to help out our site and podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, go over to iTunes and leave us a review, hopefully a favorable one. You can also help out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do this by setting up small recurring donations at our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief, or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. And you can always visit our site, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the Donate button. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast.